Welcome. It is Wednesday. We have drinks. We have folks who want to talk about data. It's time for Catalog and Cocktails presented by Data.World. It's an honest, no BS, non-salesy conversation about enterprise data management. I'm Tim Gasper, longtime data nerd, product guy at Data.World, joined by Juan Cicada. Hey, Tim. I'm Juan Cicada, principal scientist here at Data.World. And okay, here we go. Today, uh, we're talking to the guy that if you have never heard him, seen him, read about him on LinkedIn. It's literally the definition of living underneath a rock because even if you don't follow him, like all this stuff needs to show up on your feed. I mean, assuming you work in data stuff. And that is the one and only Ethan Aaron. Finally, we get to have you on the podcast. I, so I'm long. excited to be here. Uh, and uh, yeah, so you, he just, sadly, I heard that you sadly spent too much time on LinkedIn. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And all decision, but it's sad at the same time. <laughs> But you also spend a lot of time with people in the real world because you're the organizer of the low-key data happy hours in New York City that has spawned other places to go to. So, yep. Ethan, how are you doing? I'm good. Right now, I am not in New York City. I'll be back in time for the next low-key happy hour in a couple of weeks. Um, right now, I'm in North Carolina. So, I'm working remote from the beach for a couple of weeks with my family. So, um, enjoying it. It's hot, nice. but I'm enjoying it. Awesome. Well, let, let's kick it off on our telling toast. So, what are we drinking and what are we toasting for? Yeah, what are you drinking, at, Ethan? So I just went into the fridge, and the only thing I could find was a uh, not your father's root beer. It is alcoholic root beer. Um, that's all I got. I've yeah. never had a hard root beer before. Are they good? It's it's it is unbelievably sugary. <laughs> it's good. It t- it's it tastes like a root beer. Is the answer? Okay. Um, yeah. Put some ice cream in it too. Let me make it yeah. even more sugary. Like a hard <laughs> that actually sounds great. How about, how about you, Tim? Um, I'm drinking some Glenmorangie, uh, some Lasanta, so pretty good. Uh, scotch. What about you, uh, Juan? I am at home right now, and I have this bottle. It's called Ilegal Mezcal, and there's a story behind this. Is that it originally comes from? There's some. It's called Ilegal because they were literally bringing it in into the U.S. from Guatemala, and there is this little little bar in Antigua which is, uh, which I mean, Antigua, Guatemala is a great place to go visit. And a bar called Café No Se, where they would actually be making this. And uh, so I had friends who actually lived in Antigua, and they would bring it stuff. So I met those folks here in Austin. And now it, I think it's now mass produced, but it's actually pretty good. So it's not... Now it's owned by like AB and Bev. Or yeah, something. I don't know. It's like, <laughs> like, 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 called brands in Miami. It's like, yeah, whatever. Like, it's funny stories. Like, they would actually... So here in Austin, there's a bar called Clyde. It's still there, I think, in Rainy Street. And inside Clive, there was the there was a little house that they had built, and it's a replica of this Cafe No Se from Antigua. And that's, that's where cool. they were. So they were basically replicating the the bar in this little town in Guatemala where they're bringing up. Anyways, so good memories. Love it. Yeah. And, and toasting for what? What are we toasting for? Community. Business value. Community and business value. Community and business value. Cheers. Cheers Perfect. to that. Cheers. Cheers. Mm. So our warm-up question today, other than data, what's your favorite thing to rant about? Ranting about? So there's ranting and then there's talking about. Um, in the data world and on LinkedIn, I only talk about data and business value and whatever is going on. Um, in personal life, I also love fixing up houses. So I like never post about this on LinkedIn. Probably should because I have some fun, fun stuff I'm building. Um, but it's like I have one house right now where – it's a thousand square foot house and we have torn everything out of this thing. We ripped all the drywall out, all the siding off, had to replace every single window in this house, the kitchen, the bathroom, 
And to me, I just like, I love both going through the process, but also whenever I can actually working remote from Ohio where I have some family and physically fixing up houses. So I can talk about that for ages. Um, but that's my other, that's my other thing I can go very, very deep into. Cause I, I just love it. I love the physical that's aspects awesome. of not being you, at a computer. You do like a home flipping or anything like that, or, uh, I'll fix things up and then rent them out. Um, okay. so not, not flipping them to sell, but flipping them to or like improving them to rent. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That I did not expect. Yeah. How, how, about, how about you, Tim? Um, what do you like to rant about? You know, other than data, which is a lot of my ranting too. Um, I like ranting about, um, especially like, uh, like space stuff, like, uh, you know, the latest developments with SpaceX and, and things like that. I annoy my wife with it. I'll be like, oh man, like they're about to launch the next rocket. And she's like, I don't care. Why are you telling me that? But I'm, I'm going to rant about it anyways. <laughs> How often are they launching rockets? I feel like it's every like three hours at this point. They're, they're launching the Falcons pretty often now, but I'm really excited about the, uh, the, the, the big, uh, the starship. That's the, that's the one I keep waiting for. Yeah. Well, I like to rant a lot about wine. That's one thing, but one, that, that, but one thing that maybe people don't know is, James Bond movies. I am a hardcore James Bond fan, and I can go in and say, I'll talk about all the different actors and why. Which, act, which actor is the best? Sean Connery is the best, and I think Daniel Craig is great, but the way they framed the movies that he did was to refocus it for a new generation, and they really forgot about the hardcore uh james bond fans so yep. him dying and him getting love like that's not what i i want to have the, the 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 dumb stupid there's this one person trying to villain taking over the world I, like that's the stuff i want to go do not like him going off and falling like that nah, I, I can go i like i've literally been wanting to write this around this yeah when are you starting the podcast i could start a, a podcast a james bond podcast. weekly cocktails yeah. and james bond podcast. there should be like a special episode that we do that's just like ranting <laughs> about james bond that's all it is we're six or about, or about space or about flipping houses, whatever. Actually, in the next in the next time we meet up at a, some conference, we should actually do that. I mean, yeah, right, perfect. Uh, the other thing I can rant about, I haven't talked, I haven't ranted about this in a while, is energy efficiency. Um, mm. Like it's it's related to fixing up houses, but it's like all the sustainability. How do you save money on that type of stuff? Like I went way too deep into that world before I got into data, and I'm like a lead accredited professional, which is like I, I've read way too much on. How do you save money from energy efficiency? And oh wow, you're lead accredited too. That's awesome. Wow. Lead accredited, yeah. Oh, and the other one I can rant about is flying airline miles and the loyalty. I mean, oh man. Oh, I can go. I can go. attest. I can give lectures around. Alone, yeah. Okay. Let's get into the space because I think people are going to start tuning out. <laughs> All right, people watching are like, when are they going to start the episode? <laughs> Here's the deal. Like, Ethan, the honest, no BS thing here is that we haven't really prepared anything with Ethan. But I don't think we really need to go prepare because it's like we can just go talk and talk. So what we discussed was you've posted a lot just in the last week, a lot of posts. Uh, I'm just going to name some stuff out here. Uh, stop asking which tool should I use. The smartest people in the data can identify two things, levers that drive revenue and cost. One of the most impactful metrics to run an outbound sales organization is meetings booked per week. You can increase the value of your data team by end of day today by finding a chart of low value and deleting it. Am I the only one who hates the term semantic layer? If your company doesn't have a data team, why not create one? Measure the impact of your data team. And as data team, their work falls into four buckets. Anyways, this is just a handful of things that you've written last week. So honest, no BS. What do you want to rant about today, Ethan? <laughs> Business value. 
I, th I think we just go deep into business value. Right. Why, how, all that type of stuff. I've had some phenomenal conversations this week alone with leaders in the data world. And I think there's a lot of people on the journey towards business value. And everyone's like, yeah, we do need to refocus on that. But then you also meet people that are experts at this. Like I, I'm like, I post about it. But there are people in the weeds where it's like, they're teaching their teams how to read a PL because it's important to the success of their data team, or they are um, helping the company prioritize their strategy and forecast their business because it puts them in the right seat to then add value. So I can, I can talk about this stuff for, for ages. Where do you want to start? You pick one. <laughs> um, All right. No, I'm, 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 actually, let me go pick. Let's start with what we were discussing before. Like the, uh, the, what obvious, the four quadrants, high value, low, uh, high value, yeah. high, low, and then effort. How to think about value. Yeah. Totally. So we were kind of talking about this before we, we went live. So I was catching up with Adley over at Simple Tire. Um, I think it was last week. And he mentioned this. And like, it's one of those things where it seems so straightforward. It's like, yes, focus on, like I, I up until that moment was like, focus on high value stuff. That, that, was, that was my narrative. That's what I was posting about. And he was like, yes, focus on high value stuff. But within the high value stuff, focus on the low effort initiatives. And I like that to me was like a small realization. It's like, yeah, that seems so basic, but it's like a very big, thing to think about when it's like, okay, cool. You, you as a data team went through this whole, hopefully went through a whole process of like, what are the high value initiatives for the company? What are all the initiatives? How do you prioritize them? And I think it's easy to get caught up in like finance is a really good example. It's easy to get caught up trying to turn, and this is another one of my posts, to get to trying to turn your accounting systems from Excel into a data warehouse. And it's like, that is extremely high value. That is not low effort. That is extremely high effort. So I think the ability to both identify the high value things, that's step one. If you don't do that, you're going to waste time on low value stuff. And then also take a step back and be like, cool, we have 10 options here. These are all like critically impactful to the business. They justify your job um, and your tech stack, maybe depending on how much stuff you bought. Um, and then like within that, start with the easiest ones, because if not, like you're a waste of resource. So like, it seems so simple, but like, yeah. A lot of people just jump in and they start writing SQL queries or they start it, it seems kind of obvious. And 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 I, I have a perception that if people could see the quadrant and could see their projects laid upon it, they would be, well, of course I would focus on these things, right? But I, I perceive, I'm curious if Ethan, you're 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 thinking the same thing here, that where people get the most tripped up is they're not actually kind of looking at their projects or potential projects in the backlog and asking is this high effort or low effort and is this high value or low value like the, the initial sort of assessment is not happening really with teams they're kind of just like running with whatever's urgent and uh and whatever the boss says or whatever right totally and i think the secondary part of that and i think the reason behind a lot of it is it depends on the culture that you've set with your company and the expectations that you've set because a lot of people are like yes i want to work on the high value low effort stuff and then their boss comes to them and is like, hey, I need you to work on this tiny, like change the color of this bar chart. And if they don't have the ability to say no, because they didn't set those expectations, they don't have a higher value thing to work on, they're going to go change the color of the chart. Um, when in reality, setting those expectations up front of like, no, no, no we're going to say no to a lot of stuff. Like be prepared. I'm going to tell you no. Um, so that we can focus on the top things. Uh, if you don't do that, you're like saying no, I think is the biggest problem that causes people to end up in the wrong quadrants. It's not that they want to be there. It's just, they don't know how, especially early in their career, early in like 
joining a company, how to say no. And I think the biggest thing there is really just being able to set the expectations of like, if you don't say no, you're going to waste a ton of time. So we, we got a good question here. What are some of the criteria you use to define what might be easiest? What are you, what, I'm curious to get your take and I'll, and I'll give my take. Okay. I mean, am I allowed to ask you questions? Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously the, the, the answer is uh, it depends, right? Uh, so I, I, I'm thinking right now that what you should go do is that literally go start putting in, just draw the quadrant. Like you should actually have this in your office, right? In the hallway, whatever, right? Have it in the quadrant and actually put the stuff that people want to go do. And I think when it comes to, to, to costs, right, it's the amount of people that you have to go do this, the, the time that, it's, that you estimate it's, that it's going to go take. And then all these things, I think you should ask, continue to ask why. Why, why, and, and, and then if the why becomes a technical, you have to keep why, why, until you're able to go tie it down, tie it directly to some of the, the, the business units. And you, you end up going, is this something that the COO needs? Is it something that the CFO needs? Something that the CEO needs, right? That's how we start figuring things out. And then the other thing is that this, you, you need to know what are your organization's top level objectives, strategic objectives, your OKRs, however you want to go do that. And you need to know that this work is what is a direct path to one of those objectives? And if, first of all, you don't even know what those objectives are, then that's a problem. Yeah. Go figure that out, right? And if you find that as being kind of indirect or like so many paths to that, then there's something missing there. So anyways, that's kind of my quick rant right there. Yeah, I think that's pretty good. What I mean, else would you add, Tim? I would just say that like, so my background is especially in product management. And so I always think about like when you're building product to like what makes it easiest, right? And I think there's the work to be done. So there's like that, right? Here's all the tasks I need to get done and how long I think it's going to be. But then you need to have your multipliers, right? It's like complexity, right? Is there Are there dependencies on other teams? Are there dependencies on politics or buy-in or things like that? Well, that's going to add, that's going to make it harder. And then on top of that is uncertainty, right? Whenever there's uncertainty or error, that's going to create even more time and more complexity on the thing. So that, that to me is always feeding into the the, the easy equation. Yeah. But, know, what, what do you think, Ethan? I don't. I don't think it's like I don't, it's not a math equation. Is my is my answer? It depends on a lot of different factors. I think for most companies, there the one thing that drives everything is time. It's it's how much time is this going to take your team to deliver money unless you do something really wrong, like just actual outflows of money to buy tools or technology should not be the biggest blocking item for this. Like most technology is not nearly as expensive as your four data engineers. Like they're going to cost you more money. Um, so it's really time. And I think the idea of time depends on what is the ask, like how, how many charts, how many insights, how, what type of data, et cetera. But it also depends on what you have in place today. So like if you already have in place data vault and all this like advanced stuff where it's like, you can just add that thing and it flows through. Maybe you can do it in a day. Um, if you don't, maybe that same task could take you six months. If you have the raw, if you have talent, that's great at building dashboards, but really bad at building pipelines, maybe it'll take like building a pipeline will take you six months, but building a dashboard will take you a day. And I, so I think a lot of it just comes down to lay them all out. Like to one's point, it's like put them all on the, on the board. And hopefully you don't have a hundred things on the board. If you do, slim the board down, like get to the top 10, get to the top 15, and then just sit there and have a real conversation with the people around the table and say, Hey, we're tasked with this. Like date, like estimate it based on weeks, estimate it based on days. Like 
how many weeks do we legitimately think it'll take us to deliver on this? That's the only thing that really matters. And, and then if there's a massive price tag, I would note that also. Um, most of the time it's time. So like sit there and just be like, this one will take two weeks. This will take one week. This will take whatever. Um, that That's the only thing I would use to prioritize most of this work is how many days or weeks will it take you to deliver? And is there a really crazy price tag associated with any of it? Mm. Yeah, price tag associated as well. As well. What, what about on the um, on the value side, right? When when you see, you know, either in your own organization or the, the organizations you're working with, like, what do you see as, oh, they're doing a good job of assessing value? It's a really interesting concept. So like, so there's, I think before you jump into the value of a data team, you first need to understand what is the point of that data team? Because data teams, if they're trying to optimize for multiple things, they're going to end up in a very odd spot trying to prioritize. Like if I can save someone two hours a week in time versus I can provide 10% leverage to the CMO's marketing budget of 10, like they're two fundamentally different things. So like I tend to bucket things into four categories as data teams. So you should only have one priority as a data team. It's either analytics, building dashboards that provide leverage to executives. It is automation. Just how many hours can you automate away every, every day or every week for the business? Product development. Like in that case, you have a, like a product you're selling. Like there's money, revenue, and costs associated with that product. Or risk mitigation. Risk mitigation is more difficult to quantify, but it's, it's a very real way of creating value. So first, you have to understand what's the point of your data team. Like inside of LiveRamp, when I was running the data team, I was actually running the analytics team. So I was, I, my job was dashboards for leaders. There was another person whose job was automate tasks. For me, I had one goal. It was provide leverage to executives. The other person had one goal, automate away manual tasks. So like know which one is your top priority. And then within that, most data teams are analytics teams. It's like the job is dashboards. It's again, it's one of those things that's not perfectly quantifiable, but the best way to do it, in my opinion, is go to the executives, like find a, find the CMO, find the CRO and be like, what are the top two things for you? How do they impact the business? Like, give me a two sentence anecdote. It's like, hey, like this is currently taking two people to make this decision. It's taking four days a week. It's like, great, quantify that. That's That's your anecdote alongside of it and then go back to them and be like, are you sure? Like, would you vouch for that? Like, would you put, spend the, the budget to actually pay for that if we could, if we succeed? Um, or if the CRO is like, yeah, we're like, if we can get these insights, we can get 10% more leads that lead like quantifies, like the, the executives want you to do work for them as long as it's super high value, they should be able to justify how it's gonna impact the business and then ask them to confirm that that's the case. Otherwise, so that, that's how I would think about it is like, you're only talking 10 or 15 things. It's all relative priorities. Figure out who is willing to say like, that's the biggest impact to the business and I will vouch for it um, and use that. It's not like, a, it's not a mathematical equation. I love that you're mentioning like this vouching for it and really confirming it thing. And I, I, I'll tie it back to product management again too, which is like, people respond differently when they when you ask them like oh what do you want right and of course they'll get to tell you everything they want right but if you ask them to start making trade-offs um well would you pay for that like what if you only had 10 points and you could only spend those 10 points how would you spend them all of a sudden uh you get a very different answer yeah so so th this ties into one of the things i saw last week i was at the cdo iq conference where it was all about if I go back last year when I was at the CDO conference, it was all about business value, right? This year, it, the very specific business value was profit center, being a profit center. 
So they really are taking, so you would see like the, the, the data IQ top 10 CDOs were there. And literally there's like a panel with the top one, two, three CDOs, right? From uh, uh, Colgate, from Chevron. And, again. Um, and they're all about like, how, how can we generate more revenue? Like, how, where are we leaving money on the table? Identify where we're leaving money on the table to make that. We're, we're not just saving money, like actually making yeah. money to do that. And one of the approaches, somebody, I, remember, I, don't, I forgot who it was, called out. So if you say that you're saving them out of time, then, and to, and to whatever group, go tell them, saying, okay, I saved you X amount of time. What would you accomplish with that time? Oh, we would accomplish Y. All right. So let's go accomplish Y. And that's a type of leverage. That, that's what you should be pushing for. And I think in that, and, and so you, it's all about having these partnerships with folks. Yeah. And I think another great thing, I've, it's come up several, several times with folks that I talk to, but, it, but I, need, I, need, I want to hear it more, is that we really need to go partner with more of the finance. And somebody gave a great quote, which is, I cannot evaluate my own homework. So if I'm saying I'm doing this and I'm yeah. saying I'm bringing this value, you should actually have somebody else evaluating your homework. How, how well did you do? And that's yeah. partnering with finance right there. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other thing I, I think that that's those, those are a lot of tactics that people can use to actually quantify value. And it's either like external revenue, internal accounting, effectively, like someone actually saying, hey, that's worth X dollars to me if you do it. Um, the thing I, the, the anti-pattern I see, the way I, I see people fail at this is they turn it into a math equation and they assume that if they get some value for one executive, some value for another, and some value for someone else, that if you add it all up, it, it matters. Like if you solve a third of a problem for three people, it's not a solution to any of them. And none of them will vouch for any of it. They're not going to give you any budget. They're not going to say you succeeded. So it's one of those things where when you're thinking about value, think about the person that's going to vouch for the value and make sure that they actually will vouch for the value. Do not end up in a world of like, yes, we have this spreadsheet and the spreadsheet shows all the value. Unless you can point to the, the people on the leadership team that are very, very bought into those numbers, like it's a bad spot to be in as a data team. Um, yeah. That's incredibly insightful right there. I really, really like that. I mean, they say you can save a third time to three different people. It's different to save you time for that, for that one team directly. And I, I made this mistake. So like, like I, I learned this on myself. Like I, I came up with... I went, uh, when I was at LiveRamp standing up the BI team, I, I went to all of the executives and I interviewed them all. I mean, like, what are, top, what are the top metrics, top priorities? What can I help you with, with data? And then I created the top 10 list. And then I tried to do a global prioritization where it's like, hey, what does everyone think is the top priority for the business? And it's like, yeah, sure. It's this, it's that, it's this. And it's like trying to come to a consensus. And then you end up walking away at the end of that where it's like, sure, like everyone agreed that that's a top priority, but like, the, the CMO thought it was the second highest priority and the CRO thought it was the third highest priority. No one there was like, that's the most urgent thing. I'm going to champion that and that will change my life so that I can then justify coming back and saying, I want to do the second one. So it's like, I, I would, even if you don't pick the right top 10 for the business, I would pick the right top 10 where you can find a champion who will like drop everything and be like, yes, solve this problem for me. And then find the low effort ones within that. I love that. I, I think this is actually a good segue to um, another uh, post that you made on LinkedIn, where you said that uh, the smartest people in data can identify two things. Uh, you said they can uh, the levers that drive revenue and the levers that reduce costs. Um, can you talk a little bit more about like 
like, why did you say that? Like, why does that, why is that so important when you think about, you know, assessing business value and, and focusing on the right things? Totally. Um, so I was talking to someone earlier this week, like that, that to your question before the show, how do I come up with content ideas? I, I'm talking to people and it's like, it might, it's not word for word what they say, but it, it just sparks ideas. I'm like, Oh, that's really interesting. It's like another one where it's not that complicated. It's like, you should understand how your business works. The reason why that's so impactful is if you think about how dashboards can help or how automation can help, if you understand the levers that increase revenue and increase cost, it allows you to focus on the right stuff. Like if you're focused on a thing that doesn't increase revenue or reduce costs, like how how are you going to tie that back to any sort of value? Um, And kind of where this came from is I was talking to someone earlier this week and they're part of the financial forecasting process. So like as the data team, they are involved in um, the finance process of like, okay, cool. What do we budget? What's our forecast? How's all this going to work? And a big thing, if you don't, if you haven't spent time in finance, I used to work in um, an investment bank and if like it, you have your model and all the forecasts and all this stuff. And then there's five levers in the model that change everything. Like those are the things that matter. It's like, how many bookings can you get every month? How many things can you do? If you don't know what those are, like the things that actually drive revenue and reduce costs, you're going to be spending your time on the wrong stuff. So it's like, being able to identify the things that matter that you can actually increase or decrease, then you can build your dashboards. Then you can build automations on top of that. Then you can build products that increase those things. Um, but I think a lot of people start building a dashboard for a person working on a task that's that's not material to the business. And you do that 10 times and now all your time is gone and you're not, you have nothing to show for it. And the, what brings up is the thing I always talk about, the, the data team needs to understand the business. I mean, the, understanding these levers is understanding how the business works, and yep. we can't ha- we we can't have that separation anymore. Or 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 say a different way is those who actually understand the business who who are close to it are the ones who are really going to provide business value. Otherwise, you're going to go do a bunch of busy grunt work. Yeah, it's 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 probably it's probably it's it's low value work right there. Yep. So this this this. How do you so going back to the first thing is like how do we know it's high value? How do you know how do you understand the business? You understand what those levers, those levers are right there. Yeah. So that's a critical thing. I love this. And they, and they change based on the business. Like if you think about the model that matters to a e-commerce brand, it's like cool, customer acquisition cost mostly on paid media combined with like shipping and logistics. Like those are the two things that probably matter to your e-commerce brand. Like if you think about SaaS products, it's it's subscriptions and churn are two of the big ones. Um but to uh, an interesting question here from Shane um, is on, on LinkedIn is should data teams be involved in financial projects? Um, and I have strong opinions on both sides of this. One, you shouldn't personally, I don't recommend for most 99% of data teams or consultants to get involved in like accounting or anything that's actually going to represent like the books and records for your business. It's high value, but it's extremely high effort to, to get that stuff done. And most data teams don't have the level of rigor necessary to make sure that everything is perfect. Like you, you can't mess up your accounting. Um, so for that one, I would say no. The other side of finance inside of organizations is like planning. It's like, okay, cool. Once every quarter, you come up with a forecast of the future. It, it doesn't have to be perfect. It's, it's, it's inherently not perfect. It's inherently made up. Um, and in that case, it's, okay, here's the plan. Here are the things we have to have in order for this to become a reality. That side of the house is where data teams should be at, like very clearly involved. They should understand what those levers are and how they impact the business and how they flow through that model. 
because that's that's the focus of the business. That's the strategy. That's the things that matter. So um, I, I think there's two sides of finance data, accounting and books and records, I would say as far away from as you can, unless that's your specialty. If you are a consultant focused on that, do it. Um, everyone else should not. It's It'll take too long. And then there's the strategy side of finance that I think data teams should definitely be tapped into. They should understand profit and, and loss. I think it, what it's really important is to start understanding what are the metrics within, what are, what are the standard metrics in your industry, right? You talk about customer acquisition costs, right? The, all these, these are metrics that are going to be live, are going to be the same across what industry. Now the implementation, the, the semantics, we're going to get the semantic later. <laughs> <laughs> I'm teeing this all up. <laughs> By the way, we did not plan this all up. But, so yeah, the, the metrics the are backwards, or at least we think the shirts are backwards. Oh yeah. <laughs> we don't know if the shirts are back. We <laughs> hypothesize it's right on, on live on the video, but comment. Whoever's watching, comment. Are are our letters backwards or are they forwards? You, you let yeah. us know. And then and then comment, do you think the shirts were printed backwards or do you think it's just the video? And everybody who's just <laughs> who's listening, not seeing the video, they're like, what the fuck is going on right now? <laughs> All right, going back to moving back to my right here. Like Understand the metrics within your organization, within your industry, because these are the things that are just standard. Like this is just general knowledge of your industry. You're gonna go learn, yeah. Uh, and then from there, you start getting into how is that, uh, how is that implemented, how is that defined within your own company, and that's and that, and then you'll figure out this changes like, even across departments and business units and so forth. Yeah. Right? So I think this is one of the critical things. I have another thing I can rant on here. Go. Another we're on it. I think the idea of e-commerce brands all have similar metrics is pretty accurate it's like they all have a similar PL, etc but if you think about any e-commerce brand at any given point in time for the next quarter or the next year it's really a question of like of the hundred different metrics you could run use to run your e-commerce brand for the quarter the company has a strategic priority or maybe three that's it so like sure every e-commerce brand has a similar data model similar entities that matter etc but Every, like you can't look at a hundred things to run your business every day. It's too much. Like everyone will get lost. Doesn't no one knows what the priority is. And the whole point of like having a strategy as a company is every quarter to identify what are the top three to five levers to pull. So it's like maybe it's this quarter is reduce inventory costs or or speed of shipping shipping stuff. Maybe next quarter is paid media. Um, and I think it's yes. Every brand, every company has its own. Like here are all the metrics you could choose from. But the other point is. Every quarter you have to pick the top ones. And that's the whole point is like, don't try and solve for the perfect data model for every e-commerce brand that's going to work everywhere. Solve for what is going to make move the needle for your business this quarter. Make sure you're aligned with what your executive team has already agreed on around that and put it front and center for the company and delete everything else. Ignore it all. Um, because that's what matters. That's the only thing the company's focused on. So you got to focus and you got to be aligned with what the strategy is at that point. Um, OKRs. A lot of companies do OKRs or something like it, MBOs yeah. or whatever it is, right? Um, how much do you think the data team needs to pay attention to OKRs and, and feed into OKRs? Is it a lot? Is it medium amount? What do you think? Have you read my Substack article on this? Uh, no, no, I haven't. So I wrote a whole Substack article on this. Um, so backstory on this, at, at LiveRamp, we had OKRs. And I look like, just like most companies, I look at it and be like, what is the point of this? So I read John Doerr's book on OKRs. Overall, it makes a ton of sense. Um, the whole idea is 
the company can define OKRs, teams and people can define OKRs. It's really just like, what is, what's our goal and how are we going to track progress? Where it tends to fall flat is it either doesn't align with the company strategy. So it's, it's just process for the sake of process. Or you do this and you sign up for it at the beginning of a quarter. And then you have no way of tracking any of this stuff because it's even your company OKRs. It's like, cool, now we need the spreadsheets to track these things every day that goes by every week. So to me, I, I think data teams should try, should replace OKRs. And the way they should replace them is they should say, sure, we want to set objectives and we want to track progress. Instead of us defining OKRs and then trying to figure out how to measure it after the fact, I would argue that the data team should, the company and the data team should say, we're going to set our goals and we're going to track them. And the end of our OKR process or whatever you call it is not a list of objectives and hypothetical things you could track. It is a dashboard. And if you can't get the data onto a dashboard, it's not an actual goal that you can track. Wait, wait. So Ethan, you're saying that we shouldn't spend the whole quarter trying to figure out how to measure the thing that we were supposed to yeah. be measuring and acting against the quarter? During the do it during the process. So like, this is this is actually how, how I run Portable. Um, so like, I'm the data person at Portable. I'm also the CEO. And every quarter, we come up with like, hey, here's like here's the plan. Like, what are the two, three things that we're focusing on as, as a business? And then... Like as we're going through that, I'm like, okay, cool. That's okay. But if we can't track that either in a spreadsheet or in a tool, and when I say spreadsheet, I'm not saying we go look at the spreadsheet. I'm saying we track the inputs in a spreadsheet and then we expose them in the same dashboard everything else gets exposed into. Mm -hmm. The eyeballs are still on a dashboard. Um, but if we can't track an objective thing in a dashboard, it is not a goal. Like it, it can't be because what are we going to, how are we going to measure the success of it? So it's like every quarter we go through planning and that planning does not lead to OKRs. That planning leads to dashboards with metrics that stay up to date either because we're automatically pulling them out of systems or because we are um, updating them in a spreadsheet and then pulling that directly into um, the dashboard. So like, I, I think if you run a data team and every eyeball isn't on dashboards for the OKR process, you lost. Like you're, you're, or at least you're losing for now. Someone is using a spreadsheet to run the business. And your first goal should be build a dashboard that shows all the information in that spreadsheet, even if you have to just go update a spreadsheet every day and keep your Looker dashboard up to date or your Retool dashboard up to date. Like at least now their eyeballs are in, on your dashboard and you can start to automate away the pieces of it. So I have very strong opinions on this. I think OKR has got us halfway there. They just didn't actually figure out a way of measuring progress. That, that's the, the fundamental flaw with the process. There's, there's Yeah. I, I love this. This is making my business heart pump. <laughs> I, I, I do want to say that I think the the part of the, the, the culture of an organization is that you want to get people excited uh, and, and getting people excited about, oh, we're here to increase this 80 percent. Like, uh, right. So uh, right then, then people are here for a job. And I mean, it, it, this is also kind of a culture way of how you set up your business. But I think part of the the separate O and the KR, the objective and the key result. The key result is something that is this measurable thing you want to go do. But I think the objective is okay if it is something inspirational. It's like we're trying to go do because that's that's you 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 want to really rally the company saying this is what we're trying to accomplish and let's get really excited about it, right? I don't wake up excited on Monday morning to increase uh, twenty or reduce this twenty percent. Like no, but I. I, I, I do wake up, mate. I want to make sure that all our customers are, are they, they say they cannot live without us. 
right? Yeah. If, but if, you, you also want to be able to see the progress over the course of the quarter. No, like, and I think that's where yeah. you want to go tie the, you want to have the KRs or the ones that are metrics. And, and yeah. this definitely is like things that need to be measured, but those are connected to the objectives that can, that can be a little bit more squishy feeling, but just because that's what drives the culture, but drives people excitement around that. Totally. Yeah. yeah. The other, the, 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 those are the benefits of the company. The benefits of the company are everyone can look at dashboards. Every half of it stays automated. The other half can be updated in a spreadsheet. doesn't matter. The benefits that data team are twofold of this approach. Number one, you get eyeballs on your dashboards and now you can actually like add other stuff in there that's valuable to the business and you have the eyeballs. Like the biggest problem with most data teams is they don't have the eyeballs of the leadership team or the company. So this is an easy way of getting that. The second thing it does is if you focus your efforts on the KPIs for the business and like actually becoming that source of truth for the business, it forces you to delete all the other stuff. And like every quarter, you don't keep adding more KPIs. Like if you if you know anything about OKRs, it's not like last quarter you had three goals, this quarter you add three, and next quarter you add three, and then you have nine goals. That Then, you're dysfun- then the com- company is dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. What happens is every quarter you pick the top three and you ignore everything else. That is the whole point. And then you track them. And what I think this process forces you to do as a data team is every quarter, delete all the stuff that's useless. And now what's happening is your data team doesn't have to keep increasing cloud spend, increasing headcount, because you're trying to maintain more and more and more dashboards and models and whatever. Like you have a scarce resource. It's X number of goals for the business that go on a dashboard or on whatever dashboards. And it like it gives you the opportunity to say, I'm going to delete that because it's not a goal for us as a business. So like, that's the other benefit to data teams. It goes back to the other post. So you can increase the value of a data team today by finding a chart or dashboard of low value yeah. and delete it. And so that low value is actually probably the, the metric that we're tracking before that we don't care yeah. we're not doing right now. I did this, this I, I did, did it this week. So in that post, I talked about it. It's like last quarter or the quarter before, we cared a lot about content creators, like blog posts, like me posting stuff and some copywriters that we had posting stuff on our site. So it shows up, it shows up for SEO purposes, like search. Um, it was great. We we're going strong. Like we know the value of doing that. This quarter, that's not our goal. It's not one of our top three priorities as a business. I looked at the dashboard one day. I was like presenting to someone being like, look, this is what we do for our KPIs. And I was like, wait a second. This isn't one of our goals anymore. Like this, this was a goal, like showing how many blog posts by month are we shipping? And I was like, this isn't a goal anymore. This is a distraction to the company. This is a SQL query and a data flow that I'm maintaining as the data person that is irrelevant right now. So I, I went in, removed it out of the dashboard and deleted the charts, deleted the SQL queries, turned off my data flow, moving my contentful data into my data warehouse and it's gone. And now it's cleaner. Now I can just focus on the stuff that actually matters today um, instead of continuing to accumulate connectors, queries, compute, all this stuff indefinitely because like most data teams do that it's just yeah. every month it goes by everything keeps going up but it's like why like the company priorities don't keep compounding like that's not how the stuff works right yeah. I, I think that's pretty sage advice and i think the majority the vast majority of organizations don't delete enough of their data crap right like we have one customer um that has four hundred and fifty thousand tableau dashboards and you got to think that they probably don't need all 450,000 of yeah. those Tableau dashboards, right? And they just never deleted any, right? They just kept yeah. on accumulating. Um, 
So I, so I know we want to uh, move on to a couple other topics real quick before we hit our, uh, our lightning round, but I just want to do one last question or comment on this whole OKR topic is that um, I feel like a lot of times with OKRs, they're not set with the data people in the room. Right. Yep. And, and so this whole idea of even like, what can we dashboard isn't really even part of the conversation because the person who knows isn't there. Just curious about your thoughts on that. You got to make sure, do you got to make sure that the data person's in the room? Um, if I was the data person at that company or the executive at the company and I wanted to run the business with data, like actually be a data driven company. Yes. The data person's in the room. If you're not in the room today, you have to fight and justify why you need to be in that room. Like you have to build the dashboard that is better than whatever they have today in their spreadsheets. It's not that difficult. Like if they have four spreadsheets and you can ETL the four Google sheets into a dashboard, now they only have to look at one thing and it's magic to them. Like even if you just go manual after it, like it's not that difficult, but like you need to add enough value to deserve to be in the room. And then it's a question of how do you run the business that way? Um, That's fair. But it, but it comes down to the culture and it's like, it's changing the culture. If the leadership team's like, no, I'm going to use my, Excel spreadsheet or my word document or my like, like actual physical whiteboard or blackboard. Um, it's more difficult. Um, but if you want to be data driven, the data person should be accountable for building those dashboards. Like the leadership team should hold them accountable. Be like everything we talk about, you need to give me confidence that we can actually track this either manually or automated. And then the data person has a right to be at the table. Um, if not, you're going to do low value stuff. No, good advice. Ethan, why do you uh, hate the term semantic layer? I still don't know what it means is, the, is one answer. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and then the other side of it's like, what I think it means is it, is a business representation of concepts. It's like, this is our customer. This is our location. This is our whatever. And it's like, it doesn't sound like that's what it's trying to say. <laughs> like, like, I wish it was like a business object representation or like something where it's like, just focus on things that matter to the business. Like I'd rather have that full sentence than semantic layer, which just makes it seem like a super technical term that someone's going to go and like write code to solve. When in reality, it's like, no, like you have to sit down and actually understand the entities and how they relate to each other inside your business and then work backwards in terms of what you actually want to pull and how it relates to each other and forwards in terms of the dashboards. I think semantic layer has tried to turn a concept that's really powerful, like focus on the business concepts and not the data terms and turn it into a data term, which is my, yeah, my rant on that topic. I, I have to say, I agree. With, I, I am now agreeing with you. I, I my background is all about semantics. I'm like, I, this is my word, but, <laughs> but, 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 but what you said is like, yes, exactly. Semantic layers is exactly things that matter for the business. It's the business representation of our concepts, right? Now that's a mouthful. But maybe we should be. I, I like your point. If you turn thing into some technical, technical terminology, which is confusing people, right? So my my guess is five percent of data people actually have a good understanding of what a semantic layer is. If that, my guess is thirty percent have like a general like conceptual understanding. The other seventy percent have no idea what it means. And if you go talk to a CMO or a CEO or a CFO of a business, and you're like, oh, the semantic layer is the answer here. It's yeah. like, like that is never something you should say to someone in the business. But if you go to them and you're like, yeah, as a data team, we represent business concepts first and foremost, and then we'll deliver the technology behind the scenes to get there. Like, I'd rather do that. Like, like it is not a term you should ever use talking to a business person. And if that's the case, 
I so, probably, so we, probably come up with a different term. <laughs> la, la, last week, I organized the, the, our, our honest no BS dinners, and we were yeah. but it was at the after the CDO conference, uh, and this came up as something that's not working. I, I, I'm, I'm <laughs> lack of semantics is a problem, but you can't sell semantics to the CFO. We need to have a better story. Call it shared language or something else, right? Yeah. This is exactly the point you're making. All right, we're in yep. agreement. Yeah. Uh, all right, I got I got another question for you. Yeah. So, uh, which tool should I use? What's, so, what's what's the business problem? <laughs> yeah. So, so, what what is the uh, what is your rant for folks who are asking which tool should I use? Uh, should I use Snowflake or Databricks? Right? Should I use a uh, uh, use Kafka or Kinesis? It, it, it it's like it entirely hinges on what business problem you're trying to solve. So, like the the actual reason. I started posting on LinkedIn. My first post ever that I got any sort of engagement was me posting and being like, hey, everyone, I'm pulling together a modern data stack at Portable. Here are all the tools I'm going to use. ELT, data catalog, modern like modern data warehouse, like data behavioral data. I listed 30 categories. And everyone, and I was like, my goal is to figure out how many customers we have at the end of all of this. And everyone's comments were like, oh, which tool did you use? Which tool did you use? Which tool did you use? It's like, I just want to know how many customers I have. Like, where do we track that information? Like for us, it's mostly in Stripe. So like, you don't need a data warehouse. You don't need a dashboard tool. You don't need an ELT tool. You don't need any of this stuff. If you want to know how many customers you have, just log into Stripe. If that's where you store your customer data. Um, so it, it's, it really hinges on building the minimum viable pipeline or minimum viable solution for whatever you actually need to accomplish. And you need to accomplish does, compound is the wrong word, but it's like, it evolves over time. So if you have to accomplish 10 things, you might need a data warehouse. Um, but again, don't keep compounding these things indefinitely because then then you'll need 50 different tools, a 50 person tech stack or a 50 person data team and you'll just keep drowning in work. So it's like, it depends on what you need to accomplish at the given point in time. Like every quarter, if your KPIs change for your business and the dashboards you use to run your business change, you should be reevaluating whether or not you use tools. Like. I'm not pulling data from Contentful anymore into my data warehouse to power a dashboard that shows blog posts written by month. I went back into Portable and I turned it off because why? Why Why is that data going into a data warehouse if we're not going to use it for anything right now? And I'd rather just turn it off. So, so that, that's my take on it is it first have a very, very clear understanding of what it is you want to do and then find the fastest and cheapest way of finding the solution to it question to that is you know do we do you feel that this idea of the modern data stack is helpful like or does it get people thinking too much about there are boxes and arrows and i'm supposed to fill these boxes i so when was this last snowflake summit i posted the modern data stack is dead i've since posted the same thing like three times um but it, it's i think the word modern is what throws a lot of people off here like the term modern data stack makes it seem like a thing when in reality, like there's no better term for it. Cause it's really just a data stack. And the idea of like a modern data stack made it seem like this flashy thing that everyone needs to go buy. But if you just use the word data stack, it's like you need, you, you could have something that resembles a data stack. Maybe it's a spreadsheet. Maybe it's a visualization tool plus a database, but it's like, I think the problem with the culture around adding modern to the front of it is it makes it the shiny thing in a window where you feel like you have to go buy all this stuff and work backwards from there. And I think 
a lot of people, a lot what we've seen over the last three years is that's what was happening. Mm. Teams are being staffed up to buy this stuff without ever asking why, like, what are we trying to do for the business? Like, what is the dashboard we care about? Cause it's very possible that dashboard you care about, you could just put data in a spreadsheet and put a chart on the next tab and it works. Like you might be good with that. And if that's the case, delete everything else. Like do not, you don't need the pipelines. You don't need any of it. So yeah. I think people working backwards from the tool, like sure. Having buckets and categories makes sense. After you figured out what you need, it's a great way to be like, oh, I need this. I need, I need to get this source into this warehouse and be able to identify it here and govern it here and visualize it. It's like, cool. I'll pick one of these tools, one of these tools, one of these tools, and one of these in service of this goal. Most people work the other way around where they're like, I need this tool and this tool and this tool and this tool and this tool. And then I'll be able to answer every business question, but they never make it there. They never made it to the, they got stuck in the semantic layer and never actually talked to the business people. I, I think that's the money comment right there. It's like, I got to build the whole thing and then I've got the arc and then I can stick yeah. all the animals on the oh, arc. Yeah. Start with business. Start with the business yeah. problem, the business value. Yeah. So I, one could argue that all these uh, architecture diagrams are just the root of all problems. They're like, oh, I need that. It, it was the, the incentives were pretty broken over the last few years because it was like, yes, everyone wanted it. The other thing that was happening was people that were hiring for roles or promoting people were promoting and hiring based on people's experience with how many, however many of these tools they could get experience with. So like a value, like it made sense for people to say, look, I'm an expert in these 15 tools. I've implemented them all. I know how they all fit together, which it is valuable to understand how to integrate tools. It's, it's extremely valuable in the data world. Being able to do it and then being able to say, I don't actually need them. Like I would rather pay someone a lot of money to do the second half of that than a lot of money to the first half. Um, being able to say, no, I do not need this could save your company a hundred thousand dollars tomorrow. Um, by just actually being like, I know I can do it. I know I can put it on my resume, but I'm going to delete it because I'm going to save a hundred thousand dollars and I'm going to go ask for a $20,000 raise because I'm actually like fiscally responsible. Very little of that was happening in the last, last few years. Lack of physically uh, being physically responsible. Yep. <laughs> That's some good advice right there. All right. Well, look, we can keep ranting about this stuff, but we got to start wrapping up. We got a couple of things to, to in our next segments. So we're going to go off to our lightning round questions. So, so oh, wait, before that, are we going to do an AI minute? Oh, yes. I forgot it. Is okay. this where you replace me with an AI avatar? Oh. That, that actually would be fun. A good idea. All right, let's go to the AI minute. So you got, you got one minute, one minute to rant about anything you want about AI, one minute, go. Right now, I think the most, the easiest place you can see AI impacting the world is content creation. You can see it on blogs, you can see it in LinkedIn now has the great stuff with AI. And we saw this when we were writing content. So like we initially were humans writing content, then we were also humans, but we were outsourcing content creation and paying humans to do it. And then we started realizing those humans were just using ChatGPT under the hood or AI under the hood. And then it all, and then it, we saw a drop off in quality. And then we realized that we could just use, like, if, if they're not going to write human grade quality content, that why not just use ChatGPT directly ourselves? And now what's happened is like our content quality converged like 80%, maybe 60% of as good as it was before. It's a garbage is the answer. Um, and I think we're going to see that everywhere. Like, I think we're going to see it on LinkedIn. I think we're going to see it in blog posts and Google and all that type of stuff. Um, 
I think it's bad. I, I think authentic human, no BS information is going to have a premium as long as you know that's where it's coming from. I worry about that too. You will not be replaced by AI, Ethan. <laughs> we that happen to. All right. Lightning round questions. Uh, four questions, yes or no, quick context if needed. I'll go off. Number one, is LinkedIn a better social network for data people than Twitter? Yes. All right. Tim. All right. Should the individual data team members, so the people on the data team, be weighing in on the business value of tasks, or is that really more for team leaders and managers and leaders to do? They should be. Oh. It's a yes or no question. Um, but you can give a little bit of context. Give context yeah. I would say no, not directly, unless you're an expert in finance or an expert in sales. Or, like, most of the time you're not. But it's your job to get the information. Like they're not, people aren't just going to hand you, oh, this is how valuable it is. Like just like a product manager has to like get the information out of customers. Like how much would you pay for this? The PM's not the one saying, here's how much people would pay. They're the one saying, I have 10 people that have said that they would spend this much money. Three of them have contracts. Two of them would sign a contract. Five of them are iffy. It's your job to do that as the data team. Like, it's not your job to be the one saying here's the number, but um, you have to get that information. Otherwise, you're not doing your job. Fair. Third question. Is a semantic layer valuable? No. So after your little rant, I thought we were going to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a business object relationship, whatever we want to call it, layer is valuable. Okay. <laughs> it's a business object. Uh, uh, hold on. We need a better it. term for it. But. Okay. No, no, I, I, I got the word here. Is the things that matter for the business, uh, the business representation of our concepts, is that valuable? Yes. Yes. Okay. So you don't like, you definitely do not like that term semantic layer. No. Okay. No. We need to come up with some kind of acronym. It's like a business objects concept thingy. Oh, this is, this is what this is. It or something. I mean, it's SAP business objects was that, right? It's kind of popular. Yeah, every right. time you say business objects, I'm like, is SAP going to sue us? I don't know. Um, <laughs> Final right. question, Fourth question. Is the ability of a data team to be a profit center, which we've been hearing a lot more as a, as a, as a theme, is that ability for them to be that profit center overstated? No, I, I think you either drive actual profit or you use internal accounting to find profit and or ROI um, on these things. And it's like, if you can get someone to say this is worth a million dollars and you spend $900,000 in resources, that's profit. If, if you spend a million dollars in resources and get $900,000 in value for the business, not profit. <laughs> No, it's fair. Perfect. All right. Takeaway time. Tim, kick us off. All right. I had to take one more note there because you said a really good thing. All right. Takeaways. Uh, so we said that today was going to be rant day. And we, and we had a really good rant discussion. I thought it was good. And we got to call out to a lot of really great LinkedIn posts for all of you out there. If you're not following Ethan on LinkedIn, please make sure that you're following him. Um, we really focused today on business value. That was the thing that you really wanted to center around and that uh, you started off by saying that a lot of folks are on the journey to business value. And it's great that I think it's becoming more of a conversation yeah. now. Um, but, and you may, uh, but then you meet folks that are really truly experts in business value, data people that are learning all about the PNL. There is next level stuff that we can be getting here, uh, getting to here as an industry, as data professionals. We're not there yet. We have more work to do. 
Um, and when the first thing that we talked about was uh, your post around as a data team that work falls into these four buckets. And you really need to start thinking in terms of this quadrant. If as a data team, as a data leader, you want to be achieving value and you want to get there efficiently and quickly. And the four quadrants are one of, one of the axes is value, right? And the other axis is effort. Uh, and you want to live in the high value, low effort quadrant. That's where you want to live. Uh, a lot of people, they'll jump into SQL, they'll get lost, or your boss tells you, hey, can you make the bar chart be, you know, red? Can you do a double stack? You know, can you can you move that dashboard from Tableau over into Looker? These are these time waster type things, and uh, you got to be focused on business value. Um, you also need to have a culture where it's okay to say no to things that aren't valuable. And I think that's a that's a deep question that one that's one that requires a lot of thinking, both from individuals and from leaders, about how do we foster that kind of culture where it is centered around business value and not just uh, what the, 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 you know, the highest paid person in the room says, the hippo. Right. Yeah. Um, how do you know what's easiest? Well, it depends on time, depends on complexity. Um, it depends on uncertainty. If you have 100 things on the board, try to get it down to 10 to 15 and try to figure out, hey, how many days is it going to be? How many weeks is it going to be, right? You don't have to get too complicated here and don't become too obsessed with the math, right? You just need to be generally in the right direction. Um, and how do you know what's most valuable? You centered it around what's the point of the data team, right? Is that data team centered on analytics? Are they centered around automation? Are they centered around new product creation and innovation? Are they centered around risk mitigation? And that's going to drive a lot of what does value mean and how you drive it as, a, as, a, as, a, as an organism within this larger community. Um, and so I think that's really important. And then uh, before I pass it to you, Juan, we also talked about um, smartest people in, in data can identify two things, the levers that drive revenue and the levers that drive cost. Uh, if you understand the levers, you're focusing on the right stuff. If you don't know what they are, you're going to spend time um, on the wrong things. So you got to really try to figure that out. Juan, what about you? Well, I think part of that of the leverage is knowing the metrics. And that kind of tied the whole question of metrics with OKRs, right? So first of all, you need to understand the metrics of your industry. But also, you can't just keep track of all 100 metrics to run your business, right? This is why companies have strategies in every quarter. They pick the top ones, right? So and what are they? what is going to move the business forward this quarter? So that's when we ended up coming interesting getting into this conversation of OKRs, right? The data team should replace OKRs, we were saying. If, if you can't create the dashboard at the end of the uh, at the end of the OKR planning meeting, then you did it wrong. So everyone's eyeballs need to be on that dashboard at all times. Uh, so I think that and, and another interesting point is that uh, one of your posts was if find that dashboard that's not providing that's providing low value, then delete it because that low value dashboard really you're tracking a metric that was a past thing, which is actually a distraction. Hey, it's even costing you money to keep that up, keep that running. So, but I think that's one of the stuff. And then it go it really boils down to the culture if you're truly being data driven or not, and that's how you know if data teams are in the room. They have a seat at the table, right? If they're truly a data driven organization, then the data teams are in the room. If they're not in the room, then that it's a cultural issue and they really need to show and fight for it and really show the value out of that. Uh, and then we had the discussion about our semantic layer, which I, we now know that the term, the syntax, semantic, you do not like, but the semantics behind the syntax of the word semantics you do like, we do agree with. Oh, this is great. This is deep. So it's the business representation of our concepts, the things that metaphor organization, right? Then using the term semantic layer has really turned it into a data term. 
and very few data people actually know what that is, right? Uh, that's something we can't go sell easily, right? So you can't go sell sell, sell your CMO. It's like, oh, we're going to buy this semantic layer thing and all problems will be solved. Like, no freaking way. And uh, I, I think there was a, a comment over here uh, that Jane said, uh, we should uh, bring back business objects. I like that. Maybe, maybe it's a way. And then finally, for people who ask, what tool should I use? The question should be, what is the problem you're solving? What is the business problem? And really build that minimal viable solution that's going to help you accomplish that business problem, right? And so figure out what you need first, then ask for the tools and services that goal. Usually it's the other way around, and that's the big problem. And I think one of the issues too there is that a lot of people in the last couple of years, right, they got all so focused on the on all these tools that they would actually get promoted because they know experience about these tools and so forth, right, or even hired around that. And that actually has been probably part of the problem. I think that's something yeah. that would change. Woo! How do we do? Anything we missed? I think we missed one thing. Oh, shoot. Did Are the shirts printed backwards? I think somebody said <laughs> we, do, we are showing up backwards. backwards on the screen. The real question that no one will ever know the answer to is, are the shirts printed backwards? Well, you can, next time you find us in the real world, I have many of these shirts and anytime around, I'm always wearing it. Find us at a conference and uh, we'll, get, we'll give you a backwards shirt and, and hope you enjoy it. <laughs> All right. So to wrap up quickly, uh, three questions. What's your advice about data or about life, whatever? Second, who should we invite next? And then third, what resources do you follow besides, besides you? Um, what was, would my advice be? Business, like what it, what's the business problem you're trying to solve? Everything should work backwards from that. Um, who should you invite next? I would say find the V and I, I can make interest to, to some of them. Find the heads of data that are like ruthlessly focused on business value and just learn from them. They're, they're experts. They're a lot smarter on this than I am. Um, and who, where do I learn? I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. Um, I spend less time on, I don't really spend any time on Twitter or whatever it's called nowadays. Um, Slack channels. I don't really spend a ton of time on, um, and meetings like, like I, I, I will go on LinkedIn, post stuff, start conversations in the comments or, or in threads. And then I'll just get meetings with people, 30 minutes, no point whatsoever to these meetings, just to like learn, to hear about people's backgrounds, hear about how they approach the world. I learned so much from that. Like that's where most of the stuff I talk about comes from is, is just picking the brains of people that, um, are doing this stuff every single day. Love it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ethan. Just quick reminder, next week we have Wendy Turner-Williams, who's actually the former CDO of Tableau and the former VP of Data Strategy at Salesforce, right? She's actually about to launch something that she's going to announce next week uh, here in the podcast. So listen to that. And, and with that, thank you, Ethan. Super, super grateful that you were here on the show and we just had this awesome rant session. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Had a blast. Cheers. Happy ranting with you. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you.